0: Beginning today and for the rest of the Lord's Days during the Christmas season, we're going to look at a preaching series I'm calling Finding Christmas Treasures in Luke chapter 2. This morning's message is finding those Christmas treasures in Luke 2 verses 1 through 7. Maybe as you have this same experience, I have a lovely affinity and appreciation for Luke chapter 2. When I was a very young boy uh, in our church in Canada, I was given the task of memorizing the chapter and then reciting Luke chapter 2 at the Christmas presentation of our church. Since then, the verses have continued to mean a lot to me as we gathered our family around uh, the Christmas tree, and before we would open our presents as a family, we would read the Christmas story as found in Luke chapter 2. And I'm sure that. Uh, many of you have the exact same experience. So together, I'd like us to look for Christmas treasures in Luke 2, 1 through 7 today. You know, when we think about treasures, sometimes we have things that we forgot that we have, like when you put on that pair of pants and you have the pleasant surprise when you reach into your pocket that there's a $20 bill in those slacks, (laughs) You had it but you forgot you had it. There'll be treasures in this passage that you have had knowledge of but you've forgotten. Or there's another kind of treasure, perhaps on Cabbage Beach with a metal detector. You're scanning the sand of the beach and it starts to beep and you uncover a beautiful piece of jewelry. It was never yours but you found this treasure that you didn't know was under the sand of the beach that you were enjoying. Maybe you're going to find some Christmas treasures this morning that you didn't know about, but you're going to have discovery of because of the Spirit of God's uh, wonderful help. And so I want to read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. invite you to turn in your Bibles to follow. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to approach this treasure hunting experience in Luke chapter 2 by looking at words and phrases that are in the text and pausing to think about these things, to expand and explain these things. So let's begin by the first part of verse 1. In those days. It says, now it came about that in those days. The first question we should ask as inductive Bible students is in what days? What were those days like? Well, let me tell you. In those days were the days when Rome violently governed all of the known world. These were the days when Rome had no military threats and also no checks or balances. As to how they governed the world. These were the days of exorbitant taxes. (laughs) Ring a bell. Exorbitant taxes. These were the days of crippling poverty, of slavery, of unemployment. These were the days of absolutely no mercy for rubbing Rome the wrong way. The days of crucifixion for any rebellion against Caesar. Or his henchmen. These were the days when Jews were either apathetic or agitated. They were apathetic if they had given up on Messiah ever coming, and they were agitated if they figured that the Messiah would come with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. Those days. The days when the Roman Empire was either paranoid or proud enough to legislate A census. Those days, very difficult times for God's chosen people, the Jews. But the perfect time for the Savior's birth. The second part of verse 1. That a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was a very successful military leader. He was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. He, through his exploits, nearly doubled the size of the empire. He was the Caesar of the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. When the entire known world was brought under a standardized language, where the road networks were able to bring people together as never before, when trade and commerce was flourishing, the Pax Romana, Caesar Augustus. He lived with lethal threats right inside his family. His sister married his most fierce rival. He sent his own daughter into exile. And his wife, Livia, may well have been the one who poisoned him. Lethal threats from inside Caesar Augustus' family. But he also lived with lethal threats outside of his family. Strangely, not really, his potential successors and opponents were mysteriously all dying. Thirteen years in power before his death, Caesar Augustus, he was both a cruel and a calculating man who God used to orchestrate the birthplace of Jesus in the total and precise fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Staying with verse 1, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Let's talk about the census. This particular census was part of an overall worldwide census, and this census, which was a part of that bigger census, was the census that Quirinius oversaw for the citizens of Judea. Quirinius was the Roman governor of that territory, also called Syria. If we skip ahead to verse 3 in the story, and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. Surprise, surprise, not really. The census provided all the necessary data to Rome to ensure that all the taxes due from all the citizens would be paid to Rome. (laughs) The more things change, the more they stay the same. After all, a worldwide empire certainly needed a lot of denarii to run. You know, in some countries nowadays... A census will be used to tell the government how many schools need to be built or how many welfare payments should be budgeted for. But that was not at all the situation with this census or this empire. Rome was like the IRS on steroids. They were taking and never, ever giving. Those who came to their places of birth and origin registered. Actually, that meant to tell Rome's tax man where you lived and how much you owed. They were not interested in fake news. Verses 3 and 4. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. It says that he came up to his own city. Joseph's family's origin were in the city of David, also known as Bethlehem. The literal meaning of Bethlehem means house of bread. So is it not wonderful that Jesus, later to be known as the bread of life in the Gospels, was born in the house of bread? Jesus The bread of life stressed his deity, very God. But Jesus' birthplace, the house of David, Bethlehem, stressed his humanity. Again, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. The verse says that they went up. Boy, did they ever go up. It was about an 80-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That would be like walking the entire length of New Providence four times. And it would be about a strenuous five-day trek on foot. And so I wonder where they lodged on the four nights previous to the stable, with relatives, with friends, with hospitable strangers, in hostels, in other inns, or I think most probably under the stars, sleeping on uneven ground. Scripture doesn't tell us where they lodged on their journey, but I just wonder. The five-day trek to the tax office was on dusty, rough, rocky, and steep roads. They plodded along against the high wall of heat and humidity. No doubt their strength was almost all gone, most all of the way. Just hearing and thinking about it makes us want to have a cold glass of water. And they crept forward uphill. Nazareth to Bethlehem is all uphill, steep uphill. Nazareth is located at 1,138 feet above sea level, 1,138 Bethlehem is at 2,543 feet above sea level. By the way, 2,543 feet above sea level is 98 feet higher in elevation than even Jerusalem. And so this precious, obedient couple hiked up 1,405 feet of elevation in just over 80 miles of walking. That was steep. One tired donkey, one tired Mary, one tired foster father, Joseph. And I believe one stressed in utero baby due to the physically and emotionally grueling expedition of his birth mother who carried him to Bethlehem. We also have to bear in mind that all of these roads were extremely dangerous. They were cradles of crime, avenues of assaults, rocking chairs of robberies. It was just about not if you would be robbed, but when you would be robbed and how violently. The route that Mary and Joseph took was certainly not the online TripAdvisor recommended route. All of these remote and twisting roads, Nazareth to Bethlehem, were routinely lined with bandits who lurked in the caves and in the shadows and in the dark. These were desperate men and violent men. You remember Jesus' story of the man beaten and robbed and left for dead. You know, the man that the man, the good Samaritan, helped. This first Christmas, bad guys could very easily have made a bad journey's bad outcome a cemetery instead of a census. And it wasn't just Mary who trudged into Bethlehem utterly exhausted, physically, emotionally, and mentally. Her husband Joseph must have been utterly exhausted as well. I mean, think of it. He would have had the instinctual desire to protect his unborn foster son. Plus he would have had the theological pressure to protect the world's only Savior. I'm sure that Joseph's surveillance left him spent in several ways. And so we're finding Christmas treasures in Luke 2, 1 to 7. Have you found one yet that you knew about before, but you had forgotten about? Or perhaps have you found a Christmas treasure in these verses that you did not understand or know about that God has revealed for you to enjoy and to hang on to and to live in light of? Back to verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. Although Joseph was Jesus' foster father and not his biological father, Joseph's lineage established that Jesus was the legal heir of Joseph, and that meant that Jesus had the right to the throne of David. Of course that the future Messiah would eventually rule the earth on David's throne was predicted in a great number of places in the Old Testament. I want to take us to just four quick realities that swirl around Jesus eventually ruling planet earth as the king of kings and lord of lords from David's literal throne in a restored Jerusalem. Number one, Jesus will be no usurper to the throne. It's his throne. Number two, he will legally be crowned king of the Jews, king of kings. He will be peacefully crowned king of the Jews, the king of kings. Jesus will be ruling from the most important throne in all of Israel, and in fact, the most important throne of all of earth. That prospect, that the Lord Jesus is to rule the earth as king of kings ought to elevate our respective current praise of him. Your praise of Jesus, baby, savior, king, should be your whole life's worth of praise, and it should be the very, very best praise you can muster. You know the words. Come, they told me, pum A newborn king to see. Parampa pum pum. Our finest gifts we bring. Parampa pum pum. I played my drum for him. Parampa pum pum. I played my best for him. Parampa pum pum. On to verse five. In order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and she was with child. The cultural norm of that day would lead us to believe that perhaps Mary was 13 years old when the angel came to her. The betrothal period of one year, which I will explain to you in just a minute, was a 12-month waiting period. So if, in fact, she was 13 when the angel came to her, And after the year of betrothal, she would have been around 14 years old before she came together in marriage relations with her husband. It says engaged in verse 5. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him. This is the concept of Jewish betrothal. The concept of Jewish betrothal is that a family would interface with another family, and they're being arranged marriage. The boy and the girl would be arranged to marry each other, and there was a betrothal period. And in that betrothal period, the man, the husband, did not live or see his wife. Instead, he built a marital home for them. That's why Jesus said of his bride, the church, I go to prepare a place for you. In betrothal, the Jewish husband prepared and built a house. And when he was finished, he proceeded from the home he had built with his groomsmen with a torch-lit parade to where the wife was living with the parents. That's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Because the the groom, after the marriage was consummated, after a week long of festivity and celebration in a wedding ceremony, he brought his wife back to where he had built a house for them. And so when it says that uh, he was betrothed, it meant... Engaged. Now, as you know, when she was found to be pregnant, he assumed, as anybody would have before being told by an angel otherwise, that she had been sexually unfaithful and immoral. And so he was thinking of writing her a bill of divorcement. That's not a divorce like we know in our culture. That's a breaking off of betrothal engagement. But they called it a divorce. But as you know, the angel came to Joseph and said, that which is conceived in her is of God. Don't put her aside. Go forward with the betrothal. Become husband and wife. And he did, bless his heart, knowing the risk and the challenges, the consternation and the gossip, the mockery that he would face as the foster father of the Savior. And so, verses 6 and 7, and it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Firstborn son, a place of honor. But it also underscores for us that after she gave birth to the Lord Jesus, she had other children with Joseph. She gave birth to at least four half brothers to Jesus that are named in scripture James, Joseph, Simeon, excuse me Simon, Simon and Judas. We read of that in Matthew 13 verse 55, at least four half brothers to Jesus. And then in Mark 6 verse 3, we are told that additionally there were half sisters to Jesus. Mark 6:3 doesn't tell us how many but they're plural. But Jesus was her miraculous, amazing firstborn son. And then it says in verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths. Wrapping him in cloths was entirely unremarkable. That's what happened to all babies who were born. To keep them warm, they wrapped them in cloths. But what was especially remarkable and identifying was that she placed him in a manger. I posted a picture on Facebook a little while ago of an archaeological discovery of a, a small and a large manger that was dated to the New Testament times. They were made of stone because wood was too precious a commodity to use for that purpose. Well, nonetheless, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. We could say that these cloths were most common, but the major was, most, major was most uncommon. In the same way, the Lord Jesus' physical appearance was not uncommon, but his death on the cross was uncommon. The Lord Jesus' physical appearance, according to the prophet Isaiah, was rather unremarkable. He was a common-looking Jewish man prophet Isaiah wrote of him, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him, end of quote. And so our Lord Jesus was rather common-looking, but his work on the cross was anything but common. It was powerfully magnificent. It was head-turning and heart-stirring. You know the terrified Roman centurion assigned to Jesus Christ's cross feeling the severe earthquake and seeing the daytime sunlight turn to pitch dark and hearing that the Jewish temple's unterrible curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and understanding that many dead bodies came out of their tombs alive, that Roman centurion concluded that this is not at all a common execution by crucifixion. Instead, you know what he said in reverent utterance. Truly, this was the Son of God. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn because there was no room for them in the inn you know masters royalty are never born in stables but servants are but that particular miraculous magnificent night the ultimate and the supreme servant was born in an animal-dirtied stable. Of course, in retrospect, with the completed Bible in our hands, that was all very fitting. A servant is most logically born in a servant's kind of place, a stable. And as a grown man, that precious baby, once grown, would save himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I just wonder in a group this size, are you ransomed? Have you recognized that your sin has made you slave and that you need to be rescued? by what you cannot offer you cannot save yourself with religiosity keeping of rules being churched only jesus christ and his shed blood can ransom anyone from themselves and from satan on friday i had the pleasure of being part of a wedding of a canadian family And we were here in Nassau. And I was seated across at the reception. I was seated across the table from a very interesting man, the father of the groom. In conversation, I found out that he was born in Nazareth, raised in Nazareth. As I talked further with him, he had been a taxi cab driver in Toronto for 45 years and had many brushes with death had had to defend himself with a billy club from many bad fares that would kill them. And he said, Pastor, when I go to church, I never take a seat with the congregation. I said, why? He said, I stand against the back wall and never partake of mass. He's Roman Catholic. I said, why? Because of all the sins I've done, For me to get to heaven, I cannot sit down or take the Eucharist. He was trying to ransom himself. I'd like to be able to tell you that as I presented the gospel to him that he understood and turned to Jesus Christ and allowed Christ by faith to ransom him, but he didn't. I pray for him. And so as we're going near the end of this treasure hunt, have you found any Christmas truths that you once knew but you had forgotten that you have? Hold on to those treasures. Tell your children about those Christmas treasures. Tell your grandchildren about those Christmas treasures. Or I wonder in Luke 2, verse 1 to 7, if it's not something you knew you had but forgot, but did God by his Holy Spirit show you something you never knew before? Hang on to that. Talk that Christmas treasure to your kids. Tell that Christmas treasure to your grandchildren. For me, the treasure I learned in researching this sermon, the one that I had before researching but I had forgotten, was the sovereignty of God to use a despot Caesar for all the wrong reasons to call a global census and so doing to position the Virgin Mary and her betrothed husband Joseph to the very obscure, small, unexpected place of the prophetic birth of Christ. Then there was a truth in these verses that I never knew, a treasure that was like a buried piece of jewelry in the sand. And for me, that truth was the elevation of Bethlehem In Israel. There are very few places in the land of Israel that you can say, I'm going down to Jerusalem. They always say, up to Jerusalem. Bethlehem was above Jerusalem. That made the trip excruciatingly hard and steep. What treasure will you grab? Grab it, share it, let it motivate your worship, let it stimulate your witness, let it shape you to be more as like your Lord and Savior. Please pray with me, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this beautiful, miraculous story, this true story that you have made validatable by the details you have included in it. Thank you. We pray, Father, that we would not skip over this story with all of the busyness and responsibilities and choices we make this beautiful season. But may this story and the Savior of this story be the foundation for what we say this season, what we think about this season, and what we do this season. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen.